What's up, everybody? Welcome on into the 2020 podcast where we focus on being more rooted than reactive. When the headlines and the news today are so confusing, we want to keep you rooted and not reactive. This is a podcast where we talk business, sports, lifestyle, and stories. I'm your host, Mark Magruder. We are glad to have you in today. Last episode was awesome as Brian brought us through his story. If you haven't had a chance, definitely check that one out. This week, we're going to be talking about sports. I'll have one of my best friends who played many years in the NFL and actually won two Super Bowls on the show today. Chris Maragos will be sharing with us how NFL players are viewing COVID right now. But we really spend the majority of our time talking about what it's like to chase your dreams and the day-to-day of playing in the NFL. Chris breaks down what a typical week looks like as a player. We discuss the highs of achieving ultimate success in your craft and achieving what most kids in America dream of, which is winning a Super Bowl in the NFL. There are many lessons in achieving success that Chris shares that could be applied to almost any circumstance, so get ready. But we wouldn't be authentic if we only talked about the success. We will also touch on some of the struggles that Chris has faced throughout his career and is even facing now. In that, you'll see where Chris derives his hope and joy from, and it's not ultimately in football. Let's get right to it. Here's my interview with the two-time Super Bowl champion, Chris Maragos. I'm welcoming in Chris Maragos to the podcast, one of my best friends in the world. He and I went to church and school together since first grade, and I still remember that picture, missing that front tooth, big smile. That thing was gone for a while. <laughs> it was good stuff. We, we played sports together for many years, and he, of course, excelled much further than I did. He won two Super Bowls, but but I still have the film me beating you in the 400 meters in middle school, man. I, I was like at least a head taller than you at that time. Bro, we, we got to figure out a way to destroy that film somehow, bro. I don't, I don't, we don't need that floating around out there. <laughs> uh, so yeah, Chris won two Super Bowls. He's recently retired at the ripe age of 33. He's a family man and a great friend. Chris Maragos, welcome onto the show, my friend. My man, Mark, man. It's good to be on with you, bro. This is fun to be able to do this together. Yeah, I love it. I love it. So we have a lot we're going to talk about. We'll talk about the Super Bowls and life after football, including your podcast, which is awesome, by the way. But let's start with the state of the NFL today. Now you're retired, but since you're really close to the sport and you still have a lot of relationships with the guys who are still playing, tell us, what's the pulse like in the guys across the league? Are they wanting to play? Are they concerned about COVID? Are there guys who want to hold out for social justice? Like, Tell us a little bit about the dynamics and what it's like from the player's point of view right now. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. You know, as you can imagine, that the dynamics right now are pretty intriguing. You know, you have COVID, you have, you know, the social justice stuff going on. You have all these, you know, outside influencing factors that are extremely important. Um, but, you know, they're, they're definitely, you know, having a, a big mix of mix up, I should say, really, of what typically an NFL season going into them what would be like. I know a lot of the guys that I talk to, you know, they're cautiously optimistic. You know, they understand that this season is going to look a lot different for all fronts. 
you know, you have, you know, the COVID testing and the different things that they're going to implement for the safety, which everybody wants and, and everybody needs. But, you know, I think it's something that's different than what they're going to be used to. Um, meetings are going to look different. Practice time is going to look different. As you come into the building, every morning is going to look different if you're being tested. Different things are going to be happening, different protocols. You know, is there going to be fans in the stands? Nobody yeah, really knows really so what that weird. looks like. And there's a, a lot of factors on what we know uh, football and the NFL to be um, running normally and what it looks like now in terms of, um, you know, just how it's it's going to just function throughout this year and, and who knows how long moving forward. But I think everybody's really excited about it. I think there's a lot of optimism on being able to play and play well. I think it's just going to look a lot different and really uncharted territory. It's going to be a very interesting season, that's yeah, for sure. I'm sure it's reflective, too, of the population where there's probably a wide span of like some people are really concerned, others aren't at all. Um, absolutely yeah. absolutely yeah you have some people that are you know just like hey look you know, you know i'm exposed to a lot of stuff throughout the day if i'm going to get it i'm going to get it there's a lot of people that are very cautious and you know i think the biggest thing is is you know no matter where you end on that spectrum i think just having the calmest courtesy for the person around you yeah um and you know doing doing the proper precautions to stay as healthy as possible but at the end of the day if if, if you're exposed to it you're going to be exposed to it but I, that doesn't that doesn't mean that we shouldn't take the necessary precautions. So, right. yeah, I think they're trying to do everything they can to, to limit the spread. And, and at the end of the day, they got to, you know, do the things that they think that they need to do to, to help and, and to be in the best position possible. Gotcha. All right. Well, let's talk a little bit about some good stuff. So when I, uh, back when you were in Seattle, I had the opportunity yep. to come out to the facility. You showed me around, met Russell let's Wilson, a couple of the guys, you know, it was pretty cool, but we, I got to see where you guys eat, where you have meetings, where you have practice, where you work out, you know, basically where you live your life and where you spend the majority of the time during the season. And let me tell you guys, it was pretty epic. Uh, but many haven't had this experience. And what I want to do is I want to give people a peek into what life in the NFL is actually like. So... A lot of times we as normal folk see these millionaire, <laughs> like super young millionaire guys, and there's not really much, uh, I don't know, not much compassion, not much understanding of some of the challenges that you guys face. But tell us a little bit more before we get into that, like what, what is a typical week like in the NFL and uh, tell me about day to day. It's crazy. You know, you, 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 obviously Sunday you play a game the day after you come back and you're just getting through all the soreness and the, Oh man, whether the high of a win or the low of a loss, whatever it is. And you're just trying to get a, a lot of that, you know, soreness out. You're trying to just get back. Um, you How know, bad is it on a Monday morning when you wake up? Is it like uh, hard to get uh, out of bed? I'm sure at different times in your career, it's very different, but it's tough, man. It's, you just think about like, you ever had like, a really bad flu where you get the body aches, you just want to lay in your bed. Oh yeah. It's like that. But then think about having like the worst, like hangover feeling with it. I don't know, man. <laughs> like, I mean, I don't know if you've been there, anybody out there has been there. Uh, but um, yeah, man, just think of like the hardest workout you've ever done, like how sore you feel yeah. and then having like body aches and like, of like a flu. It's kind of like that. That's what it feels like after a game. So so you're trying the next day after a game, you're trying to come back in, you're trying to hot, hot tub, cold tub, get in, do all the different recovery stuff, massages, just to kind of try to get your body to start healing and getting back to where it needs to go. And then 
Um, Tuesday usually come in. Tuesday's an off day. Each team's different. Monday or Tuesday's an off day, but you're going to come in. You're going to do film. You're going to go through some walkthroughs. You're going to start implementing the new game plan for the week ahead. And then your big work days are your Wednesday, Thursdays. And, you know, you're going to get in anytime between, you know, 6.30 and 7. You're not probably going to leave until 7, 6.37, somewhere in that range. And it's a variety a day of that consists of meetings, walkthrough practices where you're going to, you know, not be at high speed. You're going to essentially walk through the different plays that you're going to implement, whether it's blitzes, new route concepts. Uh, you're going to eat lunch. You're going to go to practice. You're going to do recovery. You're going to watch the film again. You're going to fix the mistakes of the plays that you're doing. And then you're going to do that for Wednesday, Thursday, Friday is going to be similar to like that. It's a little scaled down. And then Saturdays typically usually um, a travel day, either you're playing a road game, you're hopping on a flight, going somewhere across country. And then of course, Sunday is the game and more meetings and walkthroughs. So it's seven days a week, man, full bore. It's, it's pretty yeah. wild. I think what's, what people underestimate is obviously they see you guys on the field and just physical specimens of super strong, crazy, like testosterone <laughs> dudes. But I think what's underestimated is the mental aspect of it and how much you guys watch film, how much you study to understand tendencies and everything that's going on. Maybe you can speak a little bit about the intensity of the mental aspect for a second. Yeah, you know, I think um, I think that's definitely one of the underrated parts. You know, when you get to the NFL, everybody's physically gifted, but it's the mental giftings or the mental preparation that people put in that really separates them as an athlete. I, th I know that, you know, probably from the naked eye, just watching a game, you would just see people just running to wherever the ball goes. And it's like 11 guys run to the ball, but there's very it's like unique like T-ball. Yeah, oh yeah, see ball, get ball. <laughs> Everybody runs to the right? ball. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yep, that's, that's probably what it looks like. But it's very unique, very precise on the angles and the, the, the portion of the field that you need to control within the defense or offense or whatever it is. And everything fits and it's like a dance out there. And if one play thing gets out of place, the whole place, uh, you know, the whole play breaks open. So, you know, you, that's really what you see a lot in the NFL. So it's a lot of cat and mouse, but the, the best players that I've been around are the smartest. And of course the hall of fame players are the ones who are just freakly gifted and they're smart at the same time. And you just get these guys that can just take over a game. And that's why you get hall of fame type players. For sure. For sure. And I know you've said before, you've kind of compared it to what if I filmed you at your job and watched every move that you made and then criticized every little mistake. And it's funny the the amount of scrutiny that is on you guys to do your job and to do it perfectly. And if you fail, you get crazy scrutinized. So I thought that was like a funny, you know, if you're in my cubicle and you're watching everything I do. First of all, it'd be why'd you, why'd you get up with your right foot forward? Why wasn't your left foot forward? You know, like, exactly. It's like, do you only eat with your right hand when you're eating your snacks? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's funny. All right. So let's talk about the Super Bowls. So for those who don't know, Chris is, he's truly an underdog story. He walked on to play at Wisconsin in college. He earned a scholarship. He became a captain and essentially followed that path throughout his NFL career as well. Undrafted, side with 49ers, earned a spot, went to Seattle, earned respect again, became dominant in special teams to a captain there, and same in Philly. So both places where he won Super Bowl. So Chris has this insane, the hardest work ethic that I've ever witnessed, that's for sure. And he had to work extremely hard to earn what he's achieved. So tell us, Chris, about the experience of finally achieving that goal 
that every kid honestly dreams about, which is winning a Super Bowl, you know, whether they're in their backyard and they're acting like they just won the Super Bowl. So tell us about that. And I know it's super cliche to say it was an indescribable feeling, but try to break it down a little bit for us. Like, what was that like? Uh, I mean, of course, I mean, like anybody would think it's just, it's phenomenal. I mean, you pour your whole life's work into something to reach an ultimate goal. And when you finally reach it, it's, it's exhilarating. I mean, the fact that you could be in a place where not many people have won one, it's already hard enough to make an NFL roster. And then two, to actually win a Super Bowl too, is just, it's when you're in the inner workings and when you really understand the NFL, you realize how hard it is. And that's why you see these hall of fame players that maybe some of these guys have never won one or even been to the playoffs because it's just so hard. So the fact to have two, I mean, it's such a blessing, but it's a blessing for different reasons. It's, it's, it's twofold. It's a blessing because you, you realize, you know, the, the grace that God has given me to be in these positions and to experience those things and to, and to have those types of things. I mean, gosh, it's, it's unimaginable how great of a feeling it is, how exhilarating, how fun, how, how great it is to be a part of something like that. But it's a blessing to also experience that, to know that when you reach the pinnacles, you really realize that it doesn't truly fulfill you. And when you obtain the highest things, it's a blessing in disguise in some, you know, forms or, or quite frankly, you know, ways in your own life, because you realize that, okay, even though I did pour my whole life's work into this, even though I did obtain this, even though I had the opportunity to experience the highest of highs, you realize that once you obtain it, it doesn't, it only lasts for a little bit and it fades away. And the thing that I really realize is as though, and as great as it was, and as it is to have those experiences and what a blessing it is, it's a blessing to realize that those things do not sustain. Those things do not uh, completely fulfill and they last for a little bit and they fade away. And that's where I'm extremely grateful for those opportunities because it makes me realize the goodness and the greatness that I have in my God and who Jesus is and what he's done for me. Hmm. And it really makes me appreciate to know, okay, true fulfillment, true joy, true peace, true peace truly comes from knowing the true God and the man, Jesus Christ and what he's done for us and the sacrifice he's made. And, and although these things that he's given us and allowed us to experience are so amazing but they're a blessing. They're not our substance. They're not our identity. And so often we get those things mixed up. And there's so many times in my life where I messed up that order. Hmm. I was looking at football as my substance or my identity. And when things happen that maybe I didn't necessarily realize or want to happen, then my attitude or my whole everything would crash with it. But when I truly place my hope and my trust in who Jesus is, it doesn't matter what happens around me because I have stability and I have joy and I have peace regardless of it. And so it's a blessing twofold because I got to experience it, but it's a blessing because I realized that it's not everything and I can't put my whole hope and trust in it. Yeah, that's really well said. I think what's interesting about that is it seems like people need to almost experience it for themselves yep. in order to understand that deeply. And like, I've had friends that they've wanted to own like big places, homes, expensive cars, expensive things. And then they've they know for a fact that that isn't going to satisfy them, but they kind of want to find out for themselves. And they've ended up buying a lot of those things. And of course they enjoy them and they're a blessing, but at yep. the same time, it never satisfies. And I think it's, it's true too at the pinnacle of sport that ultimately it can't satisfy forever. Yep. A hundred percent. And that's honestly it, Mark. And 
And so many people, you know, they would be like, oh, I can't relate, man. It's just I've never won a Super Bowl or experienced that or played in the NFL or whatever. But there's so many ways to relate on different levels, whatever level it is that we're on. I mean, we've all been there where, oh, man, if I just had this or, oh, if I just got this car. I mean, I remember when I was in college, I had this Acura TO when I got out of college. I was like, dude, if I have this car. It was a 2005 Acura TL, black on black on black. And this thing was, <laughs> I remember it, man. It was a nice ride. It was a nice ride. But I was like, dude, I would never want another car again in my life. It was like, that was it. And then like five years later, you look back on it and you're like, oh, man, like, I mean, it was good for the time. But, <laughs> you know, like things change, right? right? Like, And I think we can all experience that. It's, oh, well, once I get married or once I find a spouse or once I you know, have a kid or whatever. And it's like, those things last for a little bit and they fade away. And not to say that those things are bad things, bad things. None of them are bad things in and of its right self, but it has to be put in its right context. Yeah. And it's even like, okay, if I get this promotion, then I'll be happy. Or if I want to get, it can be the littlest things, you know, and um, we just find that the things of the world can't satisfy and we need to find our satisfaction in Jesus. So let's, I want to ask you a little bit more about the Super Bowls. Like, Tell me about the difference in the first one versus the second one. Like, was it the same kind of feeling? Was it different? What, like, tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, no, that's, that's a, that's a good question. So very similar experiences, but completely different at the same time. And so I'll explain a little bit more, but when I was going into Seattle, the thing about it was we all came into the team together and we were all young players cutting our teeth in the, in the NFL, whether you had Richard Sherman or Earl Thomas or Cam Chancellor or Russell Wilson the list goes on Doug Baldwin's and Bobby Wagner's and all these young guys. We were all young growing up. But the thing was, is that year we had an off season conditioning and we were so hungry and our team was so talented and we were so driven that I can remember thinking I've never won a Super Bowl at that time. But all I can remember thinking was with the talent that we had and the people that we had around it. And of course I've been a part of good teams throughout my career and stuff. I remember thinking there is no way that, that there's another team more hungry and more talented and more explosive and more driven than our team. It's just not out there. So I knew we had a good shot. And then of course, as the season went on, I can just remember thinking even the games that we lost, you know, never feeling like we were not in control of those games. We just happened to lose them. And so I remember going through the playoffs, just thinking, man, you know what? Like very feeling very confident. And the same thing was that in Philly as well, too. We had, Great team chemistry on both teams. Everybody got along really well. The Philly year was just different because we came out hot. We were kind of like Seattle. We were just dominating the NFC. And we had the one seed just like in Seattle. But, you know, with Carson Wentz getting hurt and so many other guys, Jordan Hicks and gosh, man, we had just guys, uh, Jason Peters. And we had guys just dropping left and right, uh, getting injured. And, you know, Carson Wentz gets hurt. He was he was going to be the MVP of the year that league that year. And so it just seemed so much more magical because it was more of a long shot per se, because Nick Foles comes in, he's technically the backup, even though he's a great player, great man, all those things. But so you really see, you know, as the, as the playoffs went on, we are the underdog in every single game. We won them. So the seasons were similar, great team chemistry, get great coaching staffs, all that kind of stuff. But they were extremely different because going into the Seattle game, you know, we had the team, we were confident, we knew we were going to do in Philadelphia, we, we, we had a lot more adversity, uh, with what we needed to do and all that kind of stuff. So I don't know. It's just interesting. That's cool. <clears throat> um, 
I'm throwing all these kind of unscripted questions at Chris right now. They're just coming off the top of my head. We're just going with it. But tell me a little bit about, and this is something that I think a lot of people struggle with, right? Is as a believer and as a follower of Jesus, you're supposed to obviously like trust and have all your hope and faith in Jesus, but still work extremely hard to be able to try to achieve these things. Like how do you find the balance of, really running hard after things and putting all your heart and energy and soul into it while also like trusting God and letting him guide those things? It's a great question. You know, I firmly believe that God can't steer a parked car, but at the end of the day, he needs to open those doors for us and we need to be prepared on our own to then be able to walk through them and and be able to execute. So for me in my whole life, you know, it's, it's, it's a balance because you know, the Bible talks about, you know, physical training is of so value, but godliness has value for both the present life and the life to come, right? Like whatever you do, work at it with all your heart is working for the Lord and not for men. So we have a responsibility to put work in, to work hard, to fulfill our end of the bargain, to, to you know, be as competitive as possible, to be as smart, to be as, as prepared as possible for those moments. But at the end of the day, waiting on the Lord to then bring those opportunities and then us in our preparation, you know, meeting that perfect mix saying, okay, Lord, you brought the opportunity. I brought my preparation. You open this door. And now together as they come together, that's when, you know, I really feel like God is honored in those things. So, you know, it's hard. I think on a daily basis, we need to check our attitudes and our hearts and say, okay, as I'm working hard for this, am I doing this for my own glory? Am I doing this for God's glory? Am I doing this for myself and for my own satisfaction? Or am I doing this because God's given me these gifts and abilities? And quite honestly, the only way that my whole perspective stays right is if I'm in the word. If I'm in God's word and I'm being taught and and humbled on a daily basis, if I'm relying on him in prayer, then I have those moments throughout my days when I'm putting my work in where I'm glorifying him rather than glorifying myself or feeding myself and my flesh rather than, you know, feeding my spirit and honoring him. So that's just what I've experienced throughout my life and just, you know, learning those lessons throughout the way have been extremely important. Yeah, because there's, and then there's also this balance of like, you need to be hyper competitive and hyper confident in yourself so that yep. you can perform at the highest level. But at the same time, like humble enough to know that it's not you who's ultimately doing it. And I, I would imagine that's probably the hardest balance, like the hardest thing to balance. Because in the game, you have to know there's nobody who can stop me. But yep. at the same time, it's like, well, but God can do whatever he wants. And if he wants to strike me down right now, or if he wants me to be injured, he, I will be in two seconds. So like, what about that balance? Or how do you think through that? You know, I think it's just like anything. You know, if God has me in a certain place, I need to be as faithful as possible within that realm. And until he pulls me out or until something happens, like, you know what? Like he, he gives and takes away. And and if he keeps me in that realm, I need to be faithful. If he takes me out of it, then he takes me out of it. And so just knowing that and having that balance is really just, you know, the important aspect of it and, and just being content knowing, okay, I'm in it. If you take me out of it, you take me out of it. But until you do, I'm going to run as hard as I can. And then when you take me out of something, you direct me somewhere else, I'm going to run as hard as I can in that direction. And, yeah. you know, you just got to just kind of just take it as it is. Makes sense. All right. So we're going to go to your uh, post career, like how your career ended and stuff in a second. But any like most memorable or favorite moment of your career before we go there? Yeah, there's a few, Um, you know, obviously 
Super Bowls are big highlights. Yep. But I think there's a few moments. One of my first big plays that I made in Seattle that really solidified me in the NFL. That's one because that springboarded my whole career or, you know, having the opportunity, you know, to go from the one of the big, best moments to me was the NFC Championship game, uh, 2013. We were playing the 49ers. Richard Sherman tipped the ball and then was talking about Crabtree after the game with Aaron Andrews. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But after that game, it was super special because Sarah, my wife, was pregnant with our second son, Mason. And she was about, oh, man, three or four weeks away from giving birth. Oh, no, less than that, two weeks, two weeks away from birth. And I had a moment with my family on the field and really my son, Micah, who's my firstborn son, where the confetti was falling and we were for the first, this is the first Super Bowl we're going to and you dream about it as a kid and you're thinking, dude, I'm going to play in the biggest game on earth in the history of the world. And to have that moment with your son and confetti's falling, we were doing snow angels and, and there's a picture of me hugging him and him hugging me. And it's just like, man, dude, those moments right there, as hard and as difficult as it is, uh, as the NFL is, you know, it's super, super rewarding from that yeah, aspect. That's awesome. Good, man. Well, thanks for sharing. Uh, all right. So tell us a little bit about um, how your career ended and then life after football. Um, I mean, it's not normal for someone to switch careers at 31 or 30 whenever you had retired and have to figure out some completely new path. So tell us a little bit about the end of your career and what it's been like since. Yeah, I blew my knee out in a game week six playing against the Carolina Panthers. And, man, it was it's really tough. And, you know, to go through normal retirement is probably hard enough. And then to go through it uh, being done playing with an injury that still lingers to this day and will continue to linger for the rest of my life is super hard. I've had three huge surgeries on my knee trying to piece it together. I'm still doing rehab every day. And this is from 2017. We're in, what, middle to end of 2020 now. So. Yeah. I mean, you talk about three years straight of rehab and, oh my gosh, it's just been, it's just been extremely hard. So, you know, it's really tough, the, the, you know, the situations you're in, but I do know that through the difficulties are the biggest opportunities for growth. And, you know, the transition that I'm dealing with now through, you know, being done playing is, is difficult. It's hard. I mean, you have a lot that you've invested in something, uh, you know, for that to be done. And I think the biggest thing is, is for me, is looking at those moments as, as, as okay, I've learned and I've, ex I've experienced so much through playing football, so much through my career. And you know what, this is a, a transition period where I'm going to have to reinvent what I'm doing. You know, I'm rehabbing still every day. You know, obviously the mental, you know, difficulty that comes with it and, you know, fighting through, you know, whatever, you know, bad thoughts or anxieties or depressions that you have or, you know, all those things that are difficult that, 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 uh, you know, have come as a result of this injury and, you know, through, you know, obviously the transition and everything. So yeah, man, it's just, it's tough. It's tough. It, it really is. There's, there's no right, right or wrong way to say it. I think so often people think you just right off into the sunset. And yeah. Everything's perfect, but it's been a little bit unique and a little bit different for me because of this injury and, and things like that. So and, and it will be for the rest of my life. But at the end of the day, I do know this, that the good things that God has given me in my life are a blessing and I need to steward those well. And the bad things that happen to my life that maybe I don't want, God didn't lose control of those situations either. And so I have to steward and look at these bad things as a blessing too. And I need to steward those well. And for whatever reason I'm going through it, 
and I need to be as faithful as possible and be a light, whether I'm in good situation or bad situation, my light needs to still bright, burn and, and burn as bright as possible. So yeah. that's just, that's just where I gotta, gotta, gotta come to the realization with. Yeah. And how about like in general or generally speaking for most of the NFL guys, like you put your whole life and your soul and like everything into not your soul, but your heart and soul that kind of saying basically you put everything into becoming an NFL player and then suddenly it's just over and then now you got to figure out all right well what do I do now and I think a lot of people tend to think oh well NFL players they got millions like they're fine they'll figure out something to do but I would imagine that's a hard transition for a lot of guys yeah you know I mean the largely part I've been playing tackle football since I've been in second grade and you invest so much into something and and football is is the sport where you're not just uh, you know, offering your mental, you know, strain, you're putting your body on the line too. And so you feel everything from a a mental, physical, emotional, spiritual, every aspect has to be poured in. And so when it's done, you know, you've, you've obviously gone all in on football and it's just over. And although your experiences translate and things like that, it's not like I just pick up and go, Oh, you know, I'll just, you know, take football and I'll just go do it somewhere else. Like it doesn't, doesn't work that way, you know? And so, so when it's over, it's just over. And so, you know, it's, that definitely makes the transition hard, but at the same time, you know, you have to, you have to adapt and you have to continue to evolve with where you're at. Yeah, for sure. Um, Yeah. And when I think about it too, it's like you go from feeling nearly invincible like this physical specimen winning Super Bowls to suddenly you're limping around your backyard chasing after your kids, right? right? Like it's got to be incredibly humbling and it causes you to realize your need for Jesus and your reliance on Jesus. And so I'm so encouraged how you've responded. Um, And maybe you could just tell us a little bit more about what you've been learning through this. Well, I've been learning. I kind of shared the verse earlier, but the verse talks about for physical Training is for of some value, but godliness holds value for both the present life and the life to come. And like you said, you know, I've spent every waking moment building my body up, my legs, my strength, my speed, my everything about it, my explosiveness. And in one instant, in one situation, boom, it's all changed through a circumstance. And, you know, it's gone. And your body will continue to fade more and more. My knee will continue to give out more and more even as I get older. But the thing is, is, is that if I put my whole hope and trust in investing in my body, which as an athlete, I did. And through a circumstance, boom, it's over and it atrophies and it goes away and it's done. But the spiritual training that I had, the spiritual um, uh, disciplines that I learned, that I invest in, that will never go to waste. Yeah, my body will fail me. My knee will give out. I'll limp around. I'll get it replaced. Like I'll have issues, whatever, you know, and, and all those types of things. But when I invest in things spiritually, those things will never waste away. And they'll last for both now. Currently they'll give me value, but then also in the present life to come. And that's, that's heaven after we pass away. And so for me, it's really important to know that, man, I need to be investing as much as we need to invest in ourselves physically, you know, to be able to be healthy and, you know, obviously do the things we need to do, but I think even more so we need to invest in things spiritually. And this is what I've learned is that those things will never fade away. They'll never atrophy. They'll never, they'll never be broken. Um, it will only 
you know, have value forever from now until forever. And whatever I invest in that will only continue to grow and, and hold value. So nice. All right. Well, we'll get you out on this. I got two more quick questions. One, who is winning the Super Bowl this year? Tom Brady and Gronk going to do it in Tampa? Who's going to who's gonna come through? <laughs> oh, man. You know, they got an interesting shot for sure, man. You can't never can count out the GOAT. You know, I, I like um, – obviously, Kansas City, everybody's hot on them. They Patrick Mahomes is great. They got everything going for them. I really like the Baltimore Ravens. I think they got a really great shot coming out of the AFC. Right. The NFC, man, my NFC picks, man, it's, it's, it's going to be interesting. I think you need to take a good, long, hard look at Seattle. I think that's a good one. San Francisco in the, in the NFC West. I think, uh, you know, Tampa will definitely factor. You can never count them out. And, um, yeah, I think Philly too, man. Philly, Philly always, uh, you know, you got Carson Wentz back there, man. You can't go wrong with him. So, so check this out. This is another sub question. Uh, you've studied all these guys, these quarterbacks, especially playing safety. And who is Tom Brady really the GOAT? Like, who is who's super impressive to you from a quarterback standpoint that might be maybe a surprise or it might affirm what everybody's saying? Ryan Fitzpatrick. Really? Down there in Miami, yeah. Ryan Fitzpatrick, he was one of the most interesting guys when we'd always break down film. He ran the ball well. He was always smart. He always knew where the, the, the problems in the or the weaknesses of the defense mm. were always. And I remember always th- watching him being like, man, this dude is slinging. He's, he's tough to <laughs> he's go against. And he's kind of – he's had a topsy-turvy career. I don't know if he's just never been consistent, but when he's playing – he is on, and yeah. I don't know. Maybe when he's throwing picks, he's throwing picks and whatever else. Like he's just must be a really streaky player. Uh, so he's he's super intriguing. That maybe not a lot of guys would would necessarily think about. Um, I think Cam Newton this year could could really do some things, some very interesting things. You know, with McDaniel's and yeah. or, or Daniels and um, and uh, Belichick and some of the stuff that he could do. That's a, he's just a super unique player. He throws a deep ball really well and he runs the ball really well, you know? Yeah. So his, his intermediate to deep throws, he's very good on and he runs the ball really well. So I think they'll be able to do some good things with him. That's for sure. There so. you go. All right, dude, plug the podcast. What's going on with the podcast? Chris started one recently. Shoot, man. Me and uh, my really good buddy, Nick Foles. Um, we started a podcast together called the mission of truth, keeping it real with Nick and Chris and, we just talk through real life stuff. We just get real raw, vulnerable. We talk through the good times, the bad times, the difficult times, the ups and downs, the ins and outs, everything about it. And and uh, it's been really fun. We just we we just released uh, Tony Dungy, our episode with Tony Dungy last Friday, and uh, Philip Langford with IGM with Modern Day Slavery. And uh, this week we uh, we're dropping Frank Wright, the head coach of the Colts. Nice. Uh, he's 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 on with us. So it's. It's a good group. It's been a lot of fun. It's been challenging, as you know, Mark. These podcasts uh, are a little bit harder than you think, but uh, but they're super fun and, and a lot of great conversations. Keeping That's it real, great. yeah, Nick, the uh, the guy that you mentioned earlier who stepped in, won a Super Bowl, and in Philly with you, it's become a good yep. buddy. So yeah, that's awesome. Good yep. deal. Well, uh, Chris, thanks for joining us, my man. I uh, I think you gave a ton of insight and hopefully some perspective to those who are listening and. Um, shout out to 2020 on the uh, mission of mission of truth podcast what's let's up go. oh yeah we're gonna get you out. let's go baby <laughs> come on 2020 let's go all right i love it thanks for having me bro it's always fun hanging with you bro yeah i appreciate it man 
I hope you enjoyed the insights that Chris shared throughout this conversation. There are many things throughout my life that I've learned from Chris, but I'm gonna try and boil them down into three key takeaways that were reflected in this conversation. Number one, there's nothing that can replace hard work. If you wanna achieve any level of success for a sustained period of time, you need to work hard and be fully committed to whatever your goal is that you're trying to achieve. What Chris has showed me over the years is that hard work is what you can lean on when the going gets tough. The physical preparation fuels the mental toughness. He's derived a lot of confidence knowing that he was the only one in the weight room at 6 a.m. during high school. Don't try and shortcut it because there's no substitute for preparation and hard work. Number two, Embrace your role as an underdog and don't fear failure. All of us have been an underdog at some point in our lives. Chris has thrived in the situations where it seemed he had nothing to lose because he didn't fear failure. Nobody was counting on him to overachieve, but he did. Take advantage of the times when the expectations are low and boldly do your thing without fear of failing. After all, there's really only upside when you're in an underdog situation. Either you learn a ton from failure or you overachieve. Number three, know the things that this world values will never provide ultimate satisfaction. Winning Super Bowls, buying new cars, having money, yeah, sure, those things are nice, but the satisfaction doesn't last. We were created by God to only be satisfied in Jesus Christ. Chris has found his ultimate worth, identity, and satisfaction in Jesus Christ alone. Have you done the same? That's it for my show today. I hope you're more rooted than reactive after gaining some insight from Chris. Look out for more from us at 2020 soon. Stay tuned, my friends.